1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 1. Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Skipping down to verse number 5. David is on his deathbed, and those are, they are gathered around him. They are trying to comfort him how they might, but nothing seems to be working. But while they are trying to comfort the king, it is then in verse 5 that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the son of David, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab the son of Zuriah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they following Adonijah helped him. But watch verse number 8. But Zadok the priest, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zeholeth, which is by Enrogel, and called all the brethren the king's sons and all the men of Judah the king's servants. But Nathan, he says it again, but Nathan the prophet and Benaniah and the mighty men and Solomon his brother, he called not. Verse 24. So Nathan comes to David and he says, My Lord, O king, hast thou said that Adonijah shall reign after me and shall sit upon my throne? For he has gone down this day and hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance and hath called all the king's sons and the captains of the host and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him and say, God save King Adonijah. It's our last verse, church. This is the third time he repeats this. But me, Nathan, even me, thy servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and thy servant Solomon, hath he not called. The prophet, the priest, and the mighty man. Can somebody say that with me? The prophet, the priest, and the mighty man. Sounded good. Can we do it one more time? The prophet, the priest, and the mighty man hath he not called. I want to preach to you tonight about the empty seats at the king's table. The empty seats at the king's table. Would you put your Bible down and can we lift our hands before the Lord and ask him to come and meet us in this house today. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come before your presence. I thank you for this wonderful worship team that has led us in worship and has ushered in the presence of God in this place. I pray you would open our hearts that we can receive something from your spirit. Stir us, shake us, O oh God, and move in this house. If you believe it, would you clap your hands unto the Lord and you may be seated in the name of Jesus. You know, it's hard to believe as I stand here in this pulpit tonight that for the last 471 days, I've been married to this pretty little woman on the front row over here. Can you believe that? Over 40, 5,600 hours. And we both work from home. 
It's a lot of hours. I keep telling her I'm ready for this quarantine to be over so she can go back to work and I can get some peace and quiet. And she makes that face about right there at me when I say that. About 471 days ago, we were married and for about two months after that day, I got asked the same two questions over and over and over I don't know if people thought they were being slick or this is just the initiation to marriage. But I, I'm not the wittiest on my feet, so I, I like to have an answer in my back pocket to give them. So I gave the same two answers over and over and over. And those two questions, the first question was always, man, how's marriage life treating you? So I gave him my stock answer. It's a whole lot better than eating microwave chicken every day. <laughs> Praise God, somebody. Come on now. If you have never had microwave chicken, just ask Pastor. He'll tell you it's about like mediocre room service. He hurt my feelings a little bit when he said that, but that's all right. And the second question I always got asked was, what's the best part about being married? And that, that's easy, too. The best part about being married, y'all going to find this out soon. The best part about being married is not having to plan a wedding anymore. And all the married men said, amen. Come on, somebody. The best part about being married is not having to plan a wedding anymore, Bishop. Yeah. That is one of the most stressful things I have ever had to do in my entire life. I remember one night when we were still engaged. It was about uh, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And I got this uh, text message from my then fiancé. And she sent me this picture of her aunt's kitchen. And Bishop, I, I panicked a little bit. Because I, I was pretty sure that there was a narcotics lab set up in her aunt's kitchen. And I messaged her back and I said, what on earth are y'all doing? And she said, oh, this is our invitation assembly line. I said, okay, pray tell, what is an invitation assembly line? She said, well, we start over here at the first table, the first station, if you will. And we have the picture, we have all the information. And then we wrap it in this semi-translucent piece of paper... For some reason. And then we go to this station and we wrap it in some old twine. And then it goes to this station where it gets put in the envelope and it gets addressed. And then to cap everything off, you have to put it in the envelope. And you have to seal the envelope with a custom, mind you, wax seal that had an F and leaves on it. Very ceremonial. But that was the invitation assembly line. And I, let me tell you, I have never been more thankful in that moment for a long distance relationship then when I got that text, I said, wow, that's awesome, honey. Good night. Love you. Good luck. <laughs> and I went to bed. And I woke up to some friendly text messages the next morning. Praise God. <laughs> but it was an invitation assembly line. Say, it'd be a lot easier to just send a text message to everybody or just send an email to everybody. But we wanted to be sure that every person who got an invitation not only knew that they were invited to the wedding ceremony, but we wanted to make sure that they understood that there was going to be a marriage supper All right. after the ceremony. All right. And we wanted to be sure that they knew that there was a seat for them at the marriage supper. Because it's a shame to have empty seats at a marriage supper. Amen. And it just got spiritual in here, just like that. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus begins to teach a parable about a man who is planning a wedding ceremony for his son. 
And the man begins to send out invitations to all of his friends and to all of the people in his life. And one by one, they begin to respond. One man says, I cannot come for I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Another says, I cannot come because I bought a yoke of oxen and I must prove them. Another man says, I've married a wife. And that's all he said. That's all the explanation he needed, I suppose. But one by one, the invitations were turned down and the master of the ceremony became very wroth because he realized that there were going to be empty seats at the marriage supper. So he tells the servants, he says, go into the highways and into the byways and begin to compel them to come in because I don't want there to be any empty seats at the marriage supper. Why is this so important? It's because when you walk into a marriage supper, it's not always immediately obvious how much preparation has gone into the marriage supper. But behind closed doors, there have been cooks who have been preparing since early in the morning to make sure there was plenty to eat. There have been bakers that have been preparing cakes and cookies and cookie cakes, praise God, to make sure you had something sweet to have at the marriage supper. There were florists that were running here and there trying to decorate and trying to make sure that everything was prepared. And they knew that they had just made enough so that every person who showed up to the marriage supper had a little bit of blessing to take home. But you see, with every empty seat that there is at the marriage supper, there's a little bit of preparation that's going to go to waste. There's a little bit of food that's going to have to be thrown out because there was an empty seat there and no one there to partake of the food. Are you with me? Long before you ever came into the sanctuary today, there were some prayer warriors who gathered in a room just outside the sanctuary and began to pray that God would move in this house. Before they ever came into the prayer room, there was a worship team that got here early this morning and began to prepare to lead us into worship. And before they ever came into the sanctuary, there was a man of God who laid out before the Lord and said, God, would you give me a word for this church tonight? And can I tell you that the atmosphere that we have in this building today is not here by accident. It is not here just because, but it is here because somebody has prepared an atmosphere And for every empty seat that is in the house of the Lord, there's a little bit of mercy that goes unclaimed. There's a little bit of a blessing that goes unclaimed because there's an empty seat at the king's table. How many broken marriages could have been fixed, but there's an empty seat at the king's table? How many addicts will go to bed tonight still addicted to their drug of choice because there was an empty seat with their name on it at the king's table? For every seat that is empty, there's a little bit of blessing that goes to waste. If you are joining us by way of our online broadcast tonight, you need to know that you might not have received a personal invitation 
wrapped in semi-translucent paper and twine. You may not have gotten that in your mailbox, but I want you to know that there is a seat in this house and it has your name on it. Whatever you're addicted to, you can be broken in this place. Whatever trouble you are having in your life, it can be rescinded in this place. I want you to know that there is a seat for you at the king's table. Shame to have empty seats at the king's table. We read in our opening text tonight that David is on his deathbed and he is old and he is stricken in years. And it is at this time that Adonijah sees an opportunity to usurp power from his father. Bishop, I'm always worried about people who who think the best time to make a move for power is when the leader is sick or away. Those people scare me a little bit, but we're not here to preach about that. I'll let Bishop preach about that sometime. But Adonijah assembles an invitation assembly line. You see, he's planning a feast. He's going to crown himself the king. And he wants everybody who is somebody to be there to witness it. So all the workers begin running about. They come over and they're setting up the king's table. And they grab a chair. These are heavier than they look. My God. And they bring them. They start setting them up around the king's table. And they set it down. They're making sure everything is prepared. And then they look over and here comes Adonijah. He's just checking to make sure everything's in order. He says, who, boys, who's this seat right here for? He said, oh, that is the captain of the host. Oh, good. They need to be here. I want the general to be here. So what, what about this seat over here? Who's that for? Oh, that's, that's for all the king's sons. If you know, all the other king's sons that aren't going to be king, because I'm going to be king. Uh-huh. He says, perfect, perfect. He says, what about this seat right here? Who's this seat for? He goes, oh, this is, this is a special seat, Adonijah. Yeah. This man right here, he always had a seat at David's table. So we wanted to make sure that, that you had a chair for him. He says, well, well, who is it? He says, oh, it's Nathan, the prophet. Right. Adonijah goes, ooh. Yeah. You, you mean the same Nathan that told my dad and he was living in sin and there's going to be consequences for the sin. You mean that, Nathan? I mean, yeah. Yeah, but he always has a seat at the king's table. He said, no, no, no. He doesn't need an invitation to my feast. He doesn't need an invitation. He doesn't. I'm not really comfortable with him being around. I'm not comfortable with the voice of God. I don't need some old man telling me how I need to live my life. I don't need the word of God telling me how I need to live my life. I'm going to crown myself the king. I don't need Nathan sitting at my table. Servant says, okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. See, the spirit of Adonijah, there was a little bit of comfort culture in the spirit of Adonijah. He wasn't comfortable with the word of God. He wasn't comfortable with the prophet. No, Bishop, I haven't found very many places where the prophets made people very comfortable. John the Baptist certainly didn't make anybody comfortable. His head ended up on a platter for it. Jesus didn't make the religious leaders of his day very comfortable. He ended up on a cross for it. Amos didn't make anybody comfortable. He ended up dead on the side of the road for it. It's not the job of the man of God to make you comfortable. uh, We can't get there yet. It's all right if I take a drink. It's going to be a short sermon tonight if I don't drink some water. 
He wasn't comfortable with the man of God. The word of God didn't make him very comfortable. You know, I saw a headline about a week or two ago. It was a school system in Minnesota. And there was uh, a particular book that they decided needed to be banned from their curriculum. It's been in circulation for, I, I believe it was, the last 60 years. It's been required reading for students all across the United States. And they finally decided this past month to ban that book. And the reasoning that they gave for it was because it made people uncomfortable. And I saw this comment at the bottom of that post, and it was a very fitting comment. The comment simply said, that was the purpose of the book. The book was supposed to make you uncomfortable because it pointed out some things in society that weren't quite the way that they needed to be. It made you take a hard, long look at yourself and see if you're measuring up to what you're supposed to be. But it didn't make people comfortable, so they banned it. Can I ask you a question tonight, church family? How much longer is it going to be before this bigoted, racist, archaic text makes people too uncomfortable to stay in circulation? Say, oh, preacher, that's not going to happen in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Just wait. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in the earth. And I've found this week in study and in prayer that the spirit of Antichrist is always stirred the strongest right before Jesus comes. And can I remind you that Jesus is about to come. But it's not going to be the first time that he was here. There was, I was listening to a conversation with a rabbi. And this man asked the rabbi, he said, "Uh, uh, Rabbi, if Mashiach comes in your lifetime, if the Messiah comes in your lifetime, what one question would you ask him? He said, I I have one question for Mashiach. Have you been here before? And I can assure you he has been here before. Because God robed himself in flesh and began to walk across the earth. Can I tell you, he has been here before and he is coming again. But we find right before, right before Matthew, right before we get to the book of Matthew, we find 400 years of biblical silence between the books of Malachi and Matthew. But it wasn't 400 years of nothingness. We have much history to help us fill in the gap. And I don't want to bore you tonight, but I want to take you to 167 B.C. and begin to uh, unmask some of the workings of Antichrist right before Jesus came the first time. See, there was a man called Antiochus. And Antiochus realized that with his army he could easily overtake Jerusalem. And he came against Jerusalem in 167 B.C. and began to plunder the city. He began to ransack it. There was a great slaughter in the city of Jerusalem. And he found it was pretty easy for him to overtake the holy city. But he wasn't just satisfied with plundering the city. And he wasn't satisfied with slaughtering many of its residents. But the historian Josephus tells us that Antiochus IV became overwhelmed with his own his own personal hatred and his own violent passions. And I agree with Josephus that he became overwhelmed with violent passions 
But they weren't his own. They were the spirit of Antichrist working through a man. And this man, Antiochus IV, said it in his heart to persecute the people of God. Because an imposter of God manifest always hates the true people of the one true living God. So he sets it in his heart. He's going to destroy Judaism off of the face of the earth. So he begins desecrating the temple. And he begins outlawing the customs and the laws of the Jews. On the birthday, on his birthday every month. So I'm born on the third. The third of every single month. He came into the towns and the cities. And he would force Jews to sacrifice pigs in the temple. And that ought to hit you in the gut. Because that's an unholy thing. That's a pagan ritual. That has no place in the house of God. Well alone a child of God performing it in the house of God. Say, preacher, I don't think we have to worry about sacrificing pigs in the 21st century. No, but there is a spirit of Antichrist that is trying to move into the church. We have seen in the last two years an overwhelming majority Perhaps not majority, but there are certain denominations that have started pulling back the lines on homosexual marriage. And they are performing pagan, abominable rituals in a holy sanctuary. But you see, the spirit of Antichrist is not pleased with only some churches performing these rituals. He mandated that everyone must perform these rituals. I don't know if you know this, but before the last administration came into office in this country, there was a bill on the floor that proposed to require all churches to marry homosexuals in their church if they wanted to retain their 501c3 status. And by the hand of God, that was stayed for the time being. But it's not going to be too long until the spirit of Antichrist starts stirring up again. Because the spirit of Antichrist always stirs the hardest right before Jesus comes. He desecrated the temple and he began outlawing Jewish customs and Jewish life. He made observing the Sabbath illegal, punishable by death. You could no longer go to the house of God. On the holy day set aside for God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Last year, if you would have said that, I would have said, You're crazy. That will never happen in the United States of America. We're here, church. There are churches in Chicago that aren't sure if they're going to be able to open their doors again, well alone this year. It's the spirit of Antichrist moving. Now, watch the progression here. The next thing he did was he outlawed circumcision, he didn't allow mothers to circumcise. They're baby boys. You see, circumcision was the physical mark that separated a child of God from the rest of the world. It was what made them different. It was what set them apart. It was the outward marking of an inward covenant. You say, well, preacher, that's not very outward. I mean, we, we walk around with clothes on, preacher. Read a little bit of Greek history. I know we have little ears in here. I'm going to be careful how I say this. But the word gymnasium, we get straight from the Greeks because they invented the gymnasium. It literally means the house of naked exercise. You could walk into a gymnasium in the time of Antiochus. And it was pretty obvious who was a child of God and who wasn't a child of God. There used to be a time in America when you could walk into a church and easily identify who the children of God were. 
Maybe it hasn't been mandated, but the spirit of Antichrist has swept in unawares. And what once used to look different, what once used to be set apart, now it looks like everybody else. And you can no longer tell the difference. Holiness doesn't matter anymore, by the way. It does, separation doesn't matter anymore, by the way. You see, the spirit of Antichrist, when it grabbed the hold of the heart of Antiochus, it said, I don't care if they stop worshiping. I want them to stop, but I also want them to look like everybody else. Yeah. They'll lose their identity. Exactly right. Matt Walsh tells a story. It's humorous, but it's also saddening. He says him and his wife uh, found this brand new shopping mall in their city and they were so excited to go check it out. They walked in and there was this cute little coffee shop. They sat down and had them a cup of coffee and I don't drink coffee so I don't know what that's like. But he had a cup of coffee I suppose and then they walked out of the coffee shop and they found this little Christian bookstore. They're like wow this is really cool a little bookstore. And then they walk out and he says it took them being in that building for 35 minutes until they realized they were in a church. They were in a non-denominational, live how you please, whatever you want to do kind of church. Used to be able to walk into a church building and say, man, I feel something different in here. You walk into this building and it doesn't feel like a mall. You walk into this building and you say, somebody's been preparing an atmosphere in here. There's some people who look a little bit different than what everybody else looks like on the outside. There is a difference between a child of God and the rest of the world. Now watch this progression. He then outlaws owning the Torah. And I ask you again, how long is it going to be until this book makes people too uncomfortable? There is a, a Christian, I don't want to call him pastor. I have too much respect for the office of a pastor to call him a pastor. But there is a leader of a Christian church that not too long ago stood up in his pulpit. He didn't have a pulpit, he had a, he had a coffee stand. But stood up behind his coffee stand and said, it's time that we unhitched from the Old Testament. It's happening within Christianity. What's going to happen when this world finally says, you know what, we've had enough of your silly games. We've had enough of that book making us uncomfortable what I find so incredible as I began to study for this message it's not often that things that happened this long ago that you can actually really see the progression like physically see it but luckily for us Antiochus was a narcissist enough that he left us a pretty clear record of what he did and what he thought about himself and he had a habit of minting coins in his image and the first coins that Antiochus minted it was a pretty normal looking guy. He was sitting there. He had a little headband on. He had on the back of it the goddess Athena. In her right hand she was holding the goddess Nike, which was the goddess of victory where we get Nike from actually. And it, I mean, it was a pre pretty simple coin. But he goes and he battles the Phoenicians. And suddenly his tune changes a little bit because he had a pretty good victory. And now on the coin he's wearing this funny hat with these spikes on it. And as I began to study what this hat represented, it showed that it was his... Uh, personifying the sun god of Amun. And on the back of the coin, it now had a depiction of him, Antiochus, sitting there behind chariots going on to victory. And then the next coin, he really starts to change a little bit because the spirit of Antichrist likes to come in slowly and then grip a hold hard. 
And on this last coin that I saw, he had grown out this long beard. He had a crown of olive leaves around his head. And on the back of it, it wasn't Athena any longer. But it was Antiochus holding a staff of Zeus. And in his other hand, holding Nike in his hand. He was fully claiming to be Zeus manifest on earth. And if if that's not convincing enough for you, read the inscription on the back of the coin. It says, King Antiochus Theos Epiphanes. King Antiochus, God manifest. I hate to tell you, Mr. God manifest, but the real God manifest didn't wear a crown of olive leaves on his head. He wore a crown of thorns and he walked through the earth blameless and guiltless, healing and delivering. And he took the sins of the world upon himself and he laid himself upon a cross and he cried out, it is finished. And he allowed an opportunity for new life. He wasn't an imposter. He wasn't somebody who was trying to get people just to think highly of him. But he was the true God manifest. So is this it for the Jews? Like, I guess this is over. This crazy man, the spirit of Antichrist has moved into the land. He's shut down the houses of worship. He's shut down owning the scripture. He won't allow them to look different than anybody else. He is desecrating the temple. I guess this is it for Judaism. It's all over now. But one day Antiochus sent his servant to go to this little town on his birthday. And he was going to make this elderly priest sacrifice a pig in the temple. And this elderly priest followed him all the way to the temple. And that servant handed him the dagger. And he looked down and he saw the pig laying on the altar. And he had a decision to make in that moment. Do I desecrate the house of God? Or am I really going to stand on what I believe? So he took that dagger. And instead of slaying the pig, he looked to the guard and he took down the guard. And then he turned around to the crowd that was behind him. And he said, all of you who are zealous for the law and who strive to keep the covenant, follow me. Can I tell you how to respond to a spirit of antichrist that is at move in this earth today? It isn't by bowing bowing down to their agendas. It isn't by bowing down to what they're trying to mandate. But it's standing up and saying, all of you who love the word of God and who strive to keep the covenant, you come with me because we're going to be the resistance. We're not going to roll over easy. We're not going to take this line down. But we are going to keep preaching the truth. We're going to keep preaching that Jesus can change your life. You're never going to silence us. You're never going to stop us because we are going to stand on the word until Jesus comes. But the spirit of Adonijah doesn't care about revival. He doesn't care about standing on the word of God. He said, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want them sitting at my chair. And the servant says, wow, okay, all right. Well, we won't send it then, Adonijah. So they, go, they continue, they keep, they keep setting out chairs. The other servant says, well, we, we've got another chair to set out. Might as well see what happens. So they bring another chair, and they bring it all the way to the table. And they sit it down, and here comes Adonijah. He says, ah, oh, who's, who's this chair for? He said, well, this chair is for Zadok the priest, because he always has a seat at the king's table. He says, ooh, we've got a problem there, too. Give me 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 7, if you would. And Adonijah conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, 
the priest. And they following Adonijah helped him. You see, Adonijah already had a priest. He didn't need Zadok to be there. But you see, there's something you need to know about Abiathar. He's one of these new age priests. You see, the priest's job was to come in and to offer worship unto the Lord, to offer incense in the house of God. He was the worship leader, if I can play on the English language a little bit. But he was one of these new age worship leaders who only care about talking about how big God is and leave, leave out all the rest of the uncomfortable stuff. I was having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine a little while ago, and he was saying he's a very talented young man, very talented musician, and he, he was talking about uh, the explosion of apostolic music that we're about to see. I was like, man, I sure hope so. I really want to see that because, to be honest with you, I don't know how much more CCM I can listen to. He said, well, well man, they're, they're better than us. I said, yeah, they might be better musicians than us. They're missing something. There's, there's something missing. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, let me tell you a story. I was in the wood shop late one night, and I usually listen to lectures or podcasts or, or whatever when I'm down there. But this night, I thought I'd just turn on Spotify and let it play some random Christian music. Mistake number one. And this song came on, and Bishop, it, it, it was one of those songs that had more synthesizer than anointing. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And there was this, about this three-minute gap of just synth. Like, no one singing. It's just, oh. I was like, okay, this is weird. And, and there's this voice. I'm, I'm 80% sure it was a male voice. He, he, he starts ad-libbing. He says, you're not ashamed of me. I said, okay. Okay, this is interesting. He says, you're not ashamed of me. I finally realized that you accept me for who I am. Yeah. Bishop, I got a check in my spirit. The cross wasn't about Jesus accepting me for who I am and the life that I've lived. The cross was about me accepting God manifest and laying down the old man and laying down who I used to be and laying down everything that came before so that I could accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and I could love Him and I could keep His commandments. This thing isn't about God accepting you for who you are. It's just this weird check in my spirit. You know, I grew up and I heard these songs and they made me uncomfortable. I'm not, not going to lie to you. They'd come, they'd come left turn out of nowhere and be like, whoa, where'd that come from? There's a song we used to sing and I can't sing, so we'll get through this together. The song started, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. It's like, yeah, awesome. Praise God. I believe it. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. Whoa, hold on. We'll go back to the doom thing. All the dead shall rise, watch me in the skies, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. And I'm sitting there as a little boy saying, back up. What a, who's meeting their doom? What, what about the doom? They didn't hold any punches. Old G.T. Haywood didn't pull any punches either in his songs. He wrote a song that said, if Jesus should come, would your soul be prepared? He's coming as a thief in the night. What answer would render your life to be spared? He's coming as a thief in the night. O oh, soul, awake, for soon the Lord shall come, and none shall stand in His sight. But those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, when He comes as a thief in the night. You see, those songs weren't written to make you comfortable. Those songs weren't meant to lullaby you to sleep on a church pew. But those songs were meant to shake a sinner 
and make them run to a Pentecostal altar where they'd give their lives to God. Those songs were written to shake and stir a backslider and make them hit their knees and recommit to the Lord. He wasn't trying to lull you by you to sleep. He wasn't trying to make you comfortable. I don't want to come into the church house and be made comfortable while they're singing. Sing to me about the blood of Jesus that dripped down the cross of Calvary. Remind me that Jesus is coming soon. Remind me that I've got to live right. Remind me that I've got to walk right. Because Jesus is coming. And I don't want there to be empty seats at my table when he gets here. I don't want to come to the church house and let a mediocre pop band Make me comfortable for 20 minutes. That's not what I want. I'm thankful for anointed worship leaders in this church. Thank you, Brother Window, Sister Morgan, for praying and for seeking God and for bringing the anointing into this house. But Adonijah, see, he's, he's not really comfortable with all that. I say, preacher, are you taking that a little bit far? Watch this. What does Abiathar mean? The name Abiathar means literally God is great. Good, awesome. We sing that song, How Great Is Our God. I love it. But what does Zadok mean? It means righteous. See, the spirit of Adonijah was, was okay with somebody getting up and saying, God is great. But the moment he started saying, you got to be righteous. you got to live holy. Then he started getting uncomfortable in his spirit. And at this point, the workers are like, you know, maybe we shouldn't set out any more chairs. Maybe that's enough. But you know, there's always that one guy. There's always that one guy. He's a little late to the staff meeting that morning. And here he comes. Guys, don't forget about me. I got the last chair. They say, no, don't do it. He's like, don't worry, guys. I got the last chair. And Adonijah looks up and says, who's that chair for? All the servants, they got nothing to say. They're like, mm, I ain't telling them. You tell them. So that's for Benaiah, the mighty man. Surely you're going to want Benaiah at your table. He was valiant. He slew a lion in a snowy pit. He's a great warrior. You want him at your table. He says, nah, mm, no, I don't want him at my table. Listen there, why on earth? Okay, I get the prophet. I kind of get the prophet. I get the priest. But why on earth does he want, not want Benaiah at his table? I don't have time to go. I don't have time to preach this whole thing. But stay with me for just a moment here. Benaiah is the only one of David's mighty men whose generation and genealogy is listed to the third generation. So him, his father, and his grandfather. Are you with me? His grandfather, the Bible, tells us that he was a man of Kabzeel. Literally translating to, he was a man who was gathered by God. And that gave birth to Jehoiada, which means known by God. And known by God gave birth to Benayahu, Benaiah. Built, established by God, approved right. of God. You see, what the Bible is trying to show us is that this was a man of a genealogy that walked into a house of God. And when the call of the Lord began to beat on his heart, he didn't just reject it. He didn't just push it out. But as the calling of God began to move and the spirit began to move, he found himself at an altar. And it's at an altar that he began to know God and he became known by God. Preacher, why is it so important to be known by God? Because there is a great white throne judgment that is coming. And there's only two options when you get there. You're either going to hear, enter in, thy good and faithful servant. Or you're going to hear, depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. I never knew you. 
known by God, gave birth to being approved by God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It has to be in that order. It cannot be any other way. You cannot have the approval of God on your life without being known by God. And you cannot be known by God if you do not respond to the call of God. It has to happen in that order. But you see, Adonijah didn't care. Adonijah was more worried about the approval of men than he was the approval of God. And you can see that by who he invited to sit at his table. Because all around the table were the captain of the hosts, were the mighty men across the region. It was all the people he wanted to be speaking into his life. Well, Stephen, you were right on it this morning. It was an echo chamber that everybody said, you ought to do this. This is what you need to be doing. He didn't want any voices that were going to stand up and say, now maybe you should rethink this before you take another step. But you cannot hear from God if there are empty seats at your table. And there were empty seats at the table of Adonijah. It's the prophet, it's the priest, and it's the mighty man. Prophet, the priest, and the mighty man. Wendell, can you come here and help me for a second? Can you do that for just a second? I need you to grab that chair right there. This looks like a kingly chair, doesn't it? Sorry, Bishop. And you grab that chair, bring that over here for me. This looks like a good spot for a king seat, right? Sure. Put that right there. That's, that looks good to me. Thank you. So Adonijah, he, he kicks back in his chair. And the Bible tells us that he had prepared a great feast. And they were eating. And they were drinking. They were being merry. And everybody was chanting, God save King Adonijah. So, man, this is going pretty good so far, ain't it? Everybody's saying, God save the king because... Guess what? I'm the king now. So he's sitting there, and he's eating, and, and they're drinking, and they're being merry, and he's just sitting there all the while, never once realizing that there's three empty seats at his table. But he doesn't care because he hears the sound of them saying, God save the king. But meanwhile, the actual king is moving. I believe it's 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 24. When David, Nathan comes to David, he says, my Lord, that's not right, I'm sorry. 1 Kings 1 and 32. So Nathan the prophet brings a report. He says, King David, there, Adonijah's out holding this crazy feast. He's out here proclaiming himself to be king. But he hasn't invited Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah. Watch what David does. Watch the wisdom of David. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. The very three people who weren't invited to Adonijah's table. Give me the next verse. The king also said unto them, Take 
with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Next verse. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel and blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. And let Zadok the priest, sorry, go back. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel. You can't have the anointing unless you have the priest and you have the prophet. And all the while, Adonijah, he's sitting in his chair. He's just living his life, you know. He's doing what makes him happy. He's doing whatever he wants to do. He's going to be king now. And all the while, there are empty seats at his table. And as he is sitting there, the Bible says that they hear this sound. And, he's, and he says, do you hear that sound? Because you see, when Solomon was anointed king, they began to rejoice. They began to give praise to God. And the Bible says that the sound was so loud that it rent the earth. And Adonijah, he's sitting there in his chair. And he's saying, my, my goodness, do, do you all hear that sound, that crazy sound? What is going on? And the servants are saying, I don't know, Adonijah. I, I hear it too, but I, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm not quite sure what's going on. So he just keeps on sitting there, and he keeps on eating, and he keeps on sitting in his echo chamber. In verse 41, Watch this. Watch what happens. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard the sound as they had made an end of eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan the son of Abiathar the priest came. And Adonijah said, Come in, and thou art a valiant man, and bring us good tidings. The next verse. And Jonathan answered him. He didn't mince words. He said, Verily, our Lord King... Our Lord David, our Lord King David hath made Solomon the king. And the king hath sent with him Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon. And they are come up from thence rejoicing, so that the city rang again. This is the noise. Somebody say, this is the noise that ye have heard. Verse 50, verse 49. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid. And rose up and went every man his way. And Adonijah feared. Because for the first time, the first time in this whole catastrophe of a decision, he looks up from his meal and he looks up from the echo chamber. He says, wait a second. Have these chairs been empty the whole time? You said Nathan? You said Zadok? You said Beniah? Have these chairs been empty the whole time? And he feared in his heart. Adonijah, you can't have the anointing without the word of God. You can't have the anointing without righteousness. 
You can't be anointed without the approval of God. Adonijah, if you don't make room for the word of God, you're not going to make it. If you don't make room for righteousness in your life, you're not going to make it. If you don't seek first the approval of God, you're not going to make it. And for the first time, he realized, I'm not going to make it. And Adonijah feared because he realized what was about to happen to him. He realized that Solomon was going to come after him next. Adonijah, you wanted authority. But you didn't want the word. You wanted to do things your own way. You didn't want an old man telling you how to live your life. And there are empty seats at your table. You didn't want to live differently than the rest of the world. And you left an empty seat at your table. You didn't care for the approval of God. And there was an empty seat at your table. Church, the reason I started this message tonight talking about the marriage supper is because the Bible tells us about a marriage ceremony that's going to happen. You see this right here? This is just a betrothal. When you come into church and you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you go down in the water, you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking other tongues, that's just the betrothal. That's just the beginning. Give me Revelations chapter 19. I believe we're going to verse 7. Verse 7, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Go ahead. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Go ahead. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed are they who have a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church, I've come with a warning tonight. If there are empty seats at your table on this side of heaven, there's going to be an empty seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb with your name on it. A chair that you should have been sitting in. You should have gone into the joy of the Lord. You should have been feasting alongside the saints of God. But if there are empty seats at your table, if you can't be bothered by the word of God, if you can't be bothered by righteousness, if you can't be bothered by seeking first the approval of God, there is going to be an empty seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't want to get to that marriage supper and come looking for you and find an empty seat at the table. I don't want to pick up a great piece of fried chicken and come running over trying to share it with you and only find an empty seat where there should have been a saint of God sitting. You see, for every empty seat, there's somebody that's missing out on something that God already prepared for them. 
Adonijah, because there were empty seats at your table, you lost out on the anointing of God. And God gave the anointing to somebody else because you didn't want it. God gave the revival to somebody else because there were empty seats at your table. And Adonijah, can I tell you tonight that there's going to be an empty seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I'm going to walk up to that seat, and there's going to be a plaque that reads, Adonijah, the man who had empty seats at his table. I've asked the Lord to meet us in this house tonight. I felt so very strongly in speaking to my spirit. said, if you will bring this word of warning to my church, I will show my mercy. I believe we have an opportunity in this room tonight. You have a window of opportunity to make sure there aren't any empty seats at your table. And if there are empty seats at your table, I'd get to this altar before the trumpet sounds because I still believe that Jesus is coming morning or night or noon. It could be before this mic hits this pulpit. It could be before you lay your head down at night. But if I were you, I'd make sure that there were no empty seats at my table when Jesus comes. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Don't let there be empty seats at your table when it gets here. Because if there's empty seats at your table now, there's going to be an empty seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb with your name on it. As I laid before the, before the Lord last night in the sanctuary, I began to pray. As I looked around the sanctuary, Bishop, I saw this fog, this eerie fog. And I, I could feel in my spirit, it was the moving of the spirit of Antichrist. So I sat down, I said, Lord, what's going on? And there was this... I don't, know, I don't know how to say this other than to tell you what happened. There was this thing that walked up to me and it kind of looked down at me. It said, do you know what you're messing with? I said, yes. This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit that was kicked out of heaven many, many years ago. And it's been falling. And it's been falling and it will forever fall into eternal damnation. And it has no authority over the name of Jesus. And it has no authority over the people of the name. And this thing chuckled at me. I said, yes, that's true. But they don't know that. I said, well, they're going to know tomorrow. Because I'm going to get in a pulpit. And I'm going to remind them that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And as I began to rebuke that spirit, I saw the fog begin to clear out of this city and off of this church. Church, there is a revival that is coming. But before we get to that revival, you better hit a Pentecostal altar and make sure there aren't any empty seats at your table. Can we lift our hands all across this place? God, we need your mercy in this house. 
We need you to begin to move in this place. I pray that you'd begin to move over hardened hearts and you'd begin to soften the hearts of people who don't want to hear your word. Lord, reveal to us if we have any empty seats at our table. Let conviction fall in this house today. God, I want to be ready.